good job band, better job people, because they're not the performers, you are. You sound great. Thank you for that. Yeah, anybody in here like to study maps <clears throat> or not just look at them? Can anybody like sit down with a map or a globe and just look at it for like a half an hour and just, uh, I can do that. I've always just, I've always enjoyed that. The colors, the names, the wonder what it's like there. Today we're going to uh, talk about a little bit of theology. Theology is kind of like looking at a map. And I say that because theology, you can look at that and you can study that map. So if I pull out, where have I never been before? Delaware. Never been to Delaware. Let's say I put out a, a map of the state of Delaware and I lay it out on the table and I'm looking at it and I know, okay, there's the capital, that's, that's Dover, that's pretty cool. And then I think Wilmington's a place in, in Delaware, okay, it's there by, over there on the Atlantic and I can see all the rivers and the cities and the towns and I can learn a lot about Delaware, but I don't really know Delaware, do I? I don't really know. In order to know it, I got to go there. I got to go to one of these cities. I got to... See, what's the coffee shops like there? What, 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 you know, what's the, 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 the scenery like? What's the horizon look like? What are the people like in order to know anything about Delaware? See, theology is like that. We can put theology, we can put all the papers out on a table, and we can study this doctrine and that doctrine and this doctrine and that doctrine, and there's a place for that. There's a place for that. So that when I get to Delaware, I'm, a, I'm vaguely familiar with the place, right? There's a place for important to just study the papers, the doctrines of theology. But it's more important to go there. It's more important to visit it. Today we're going uh, to visit one of those little doctrines of theology. It's a pretty small piece of the big, big scheme of things. It's the pre-existence of Christ. What does it mean that Jesus existed before anything else? Now, that's, a, that's an answer to a trivia question, or it's a Bible study question. Right? You, you, it's a doctrinal statement that you can, I, I know that Jesus, I believe that Jesus did. What's it matter? That's going to be our work for today. So we're going to continue this story. You've already heard the first two portions of this story, and the reason I had the guys read it like this, one, because it's a really long story, and I think you would tire of me reading the whole thing, but also, two, to uh, give you the context of what's happening now in this uh, confrontation that Jesus is having with these religious leaders. They've been going back and forth, nitpicking at each other for some time. So here we pick up now in verse 48 of John chapter 8. <clears throat> you remember what Jesus just said, what Chad just read. He accused them of the devil being their father. Uh, that's no light charge. Here they go. The people retorted, you Samaritan devil, didn't we say all along that you're possessed by a demon? No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count, but it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great as liar as you are. But I do know him and obey him. 
Your father, Abraham, rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Father, would you please give light? Chad talked about you being the light of the world. Without your light, we can't know anything about you. And your word, the Bible, is just ink on a page. Would you, dear spirit, give it, shine your light on it so that we can see the truth here for us, so it can sink down deep into our hearts, so that we can be changed and love you even more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's see, who are some of the biggest egomaniacs you can think of? Now, but before, but before you shout out names, nobody sitting in this room, okay? Don't, nobody you actually know in person. Let's just stick to, like, famous people. Who, when I say egomaniac, famous person. Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom Brady. Okay, Colts fan over here or what? I don't know. Who else? Donald Trump. Okay. Prime. Who's primetime, Austin? Okay. Another athlete. It's another athlete. Say again. A YouTube star turned boxer. Do you know who that plays? Do you know who that is? No, that's Austin back there. Who's any of the Kardashians? All right. Well, we can just do this for a while, can't we? This is kind of fun. I love talking about the flaws of other people. That's all kinds of fun. Keep it here, Pastor. Right? What is it about ego? That's such a big turnoff. Like nobody would say that, yeah, ego, that's a characteristic that I want in my spouse. I want him to have a really big ego. Or that's what I look for in my friend. What is it about ego? That they feel superior? Yeah, that's what ego is. But why does that bother us so much? I mean, some people are better at some things than others. They look down on us. Aren't they just people? Aren't they just people like the rest of us? Huh? What's the phrase? Doesn't he put his pants on one leg at a time? I think we know that even, okay, another ego, Rush Limbaugh, right? What did he used to say? Talent on loan from God is his slogan. Don't we all kind of know that all talent that everybody has is temporary and it's from God? Like, yeah, you might have worked hard, but you didn't give yourself the talents that you have. And don't we know, too, that there's an awful lot of luck involved? I mean, we sponsor a missionary who works over in Bangladesh at the Rohingya refugee camps where over a million refugees from Myanmar live in squalor. 
Now, how many really talented athletes do you think are born, live, and die in anonymity? Nobody ever hears about them. How many really talented scientists or really gifted speakers, right? Even, even in this country, how many really, how many Olympic quality, how much Olympic quality talent is never realized just because the parents aren't paying attention or they simply don't have the money and the time to put into lessons and coaching? So I think when we see a big ego like that, we kind of know, first of all, you didn't give yourself your talent. So yeah, you worked hard and that's, that's good, but you didn't give yourself your talent and also uh, you're fortunate. You had a lot of things go your way that you didn't have any control over. And aren't you just like me? You're just a guy just like me. This is what these religious leaders are feeling when Jesus is coming to them and saying, well, presuming to tell them what's up. He's telling them that he knows the Father, not them. That he knows the Father. I mean, they've got the books. They've got the history, they've got the temple, they've got the title, they've got the job, right? They've got the respect of the community, but he has the gall to say, you, your father is the devil. I'm the one who knows the father. Imagine that. That's crazy ego, man, if it isn't true. That's, uh, who said that? It ain't bragging if it's true. It's another big ego. John Wayne, I think. I think... Somebody Google it. I think, that, I think that's who said that. Anyways, with Jesus, it is true. But maybe we can give a break. Maybe we, can, maybe we can give a little bit of a pass to the religious leaders who get so worked up. Because, I, gosh, wouldn't we be offended too, honestly? I think we would be. They're offended. Their agitation just pours from the page as you hear this story. But notice, though, Jesus is not agitated. Even in the one line that Chad read that it sounds like he's getting agitated, when he says, what's the matter with you? Why can't you understand? He answers his own question. I'll tell you why you can't understand. Jesus is calm, cool, and collected in this conversation. He's not agitated. That's not how egotistical people usually respond to challenges. Egomaniacs get angry. Egomaniacs get louder. Egomaniacs will make fun of you. Egomaniacs will make up lies about you to do anything to make you smaller or softer and make them bigger or louder. That's not what Jesus does. He's simply, when they criticize him, he's simply speaking the truth. He might be speaking firmly, but I don't know about you. I just don't get the sense that he's agitated or stressed in this encounter. So he gets to the main thrust of the matter, the, 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 the main point of where he's going with all this. They're claiming Abraham is their father. He's saying, Abraham, man, I know, I know Abraham. We were just chilling the other day, a few years ago. He, he's, he's seen me, and he rejoiced to see my day. And they just go nuts. What he's saying to them is, I pre-exist Abraham. I, I, I pre-exist. What is that? Is that just a theological puzzle that Jesus pre-exists Abraham? Or, or, or what's he saying? And why does that matter for, for us today? I, I see four reasons in here. Most sermons have three parts. You get a freebie today. You guys see four things that this, this doctrine 
of the pre-existent Christ does for me. Two of the things have to do with how I treat other people, and the uh, two of the things that I see have to do with how I treat myself. And so these are the four things I put on your notes page if you want to jot them down. And then there's plenty of room there, too. If uh, what I say doesn't jive with you or you think something else is speaking more clearly out of this passage, write that stuff down, too. That's why you get room on your notes page. The first thing, though, that I see, I'll tell you how this affects me. First of all, the doctrine of a preexistent Christ, it, it makes me humble. Jesus says in verse 50, I'm not seeking glory for myself. Now, he's about to make the most seemingly egotistical statement in the history of the world. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Before Abraham was, I am. And yet he starts here by saying, I'm not here to glorify myself. I'm here to do my Father's work. Now imagine what it must have been like for Jesus. And this is another reason why I think he wasn't very agitated. Imagine what it must have been like for Jesus standing here having this ridiculous discussion with these people. I mean, imagine the absurdity. Here is the one who imagined up the galaxies in his mind and spun them into existence out of his fingertips. This is my Spider-Man thing. I don't know. But that's how he did it, you know. Galaxies. Galaxies. This is who he is. This is what he's done. He invented photosynthesis and nuclear fission or fusion or whichever is what. He invented them both. He rose the first man up from the dirt. And now he himself has become a man, has become one of them, confined his majesty into one tiny place in space and time, all to come to this point at this temple and have this conversation at this moment with this handful of stubborn, ignorant people. Why does he have time for this? Doesn't he have more important things to do? I guess not. Just think about that for a second. And now if Jesus... can humble himself... to make time for people... who don't get it... who are lost. What is it? Oh, that falls off every time. We need a new one of those doodads. If Jesus can make time for people who are lost, who are agitated with him, who disagree with him, maybe I can bring myself to set aside some of the things that I think are important. And look at people the same way he does. And the second thing is like the first thing. The first thing is a pre-existent Christ makes me humble. The second thing is a pre-existent Christ makes me, uh, it makes me patient. He, Jesus seems to have all the time in the world. Even though his life on earth would be relatively short. He didn't live to be as old as I am. He's, you know, died in his 30s. He never seems to be in a hurry, though. He doesn't roll his eyes at these people. He doesn't walk away. He engages them. And this is nothing new for Jesus. Again, imagine, if you can, just imagine being him for a moment. He's stood by patiently waiting with this people 
for eons. Waiting for the world. To develop and form. Blaze talked about at his exam yesterday, the six days of creation. I don't know, but the sun's not created till the fourth sun and the moon, third or fourth day. So pretty sure those six days are really big periods of time. Imagine Jesus just sitting there, patient, waiting for how long? Who knows? Who knows how long? But with the Lord, a day is like how many years, the scripture says? And then he creates humankind. And doesn't he wait so patiently? Again, as humankind disobeys him, kind of comes back to him, but not fully, never fully disobey. More rebellion, more. Humankind multiplies till it's only a small percentage of people who even care to know who he is anymore. Yet he waits. Yet he waits. Yet he waits. Patient, patient, patient. We talked in Sunday school class today. God is so patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everybody to come to faith. Everybody to be saved is what he, he, he would, what he would like. How do you treat people when they try your patience? Has Jesus been patient with you? Talk about the cosmos, talk about the human race. What about talking about you? Hasn't he been pretty darn patient with you? Watching you make some pretty foolish mistakes or downright rebellious moves? And he sticks with you, doesn't he? Patiently waiting for you to come back. Maybe we can find here in this doctrine of the preexistent Christ just a little bit of fuel to be a little bit more patient. Now, the other two things I see from this, this doctrine and this encounter here that Christ has with these Pharisees is have to do with how I treat myself. The first takeaway I see is that a pre-existent Christ, that idea, it makes me more calm. Maybe this is the most important thing in this day of rapid change and pandemic and intense political disagreements there's nothing going on here in this temple that Jesus hasn't already seen before. See, the Pharisees, they're so caught up in preserving their organization that they can't see it. They're so certain that they've got their theology right <clears throat> that they no longer can see straight. And I'm sympathetic with them because I might be, I might be like them. No, see, God used Abraham to get you to this point, guys. Don't you see that? Do you all know the story of Abraham? Abraham, essentially the first Jew, he was promised by God that, that God was going to make his descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky, and that through Abraham, the whole world would be, would be blessed. And now, here we are, that's in Genesis chapter 12, if you want to read the whole story. Abraham was just the beginning. Abraham was just a guy. So the Pharisees are screaming at Jesus because, hey man, you're just a guy like Abraham, implying, hey, you're just a guy like us too. Who are you to tell us what's up? But that's just it. Jesus is not just a guy. Jesus is the one that God promised would come through Abraham. 
He's the one that would come to take away the sin of the world, through whom the whole, all the nations would be blessed. This is the guy. So thinking about Jesus and his, how old he is, his preexistence, okay, he's really, 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 really old. He's seen a lot. And so I have my opinions, and I have what I believe is truth, and I'm going to stand for those things. But I'm going to remember that most of those things don't amount to a hill of beans when I'm standing in front of my Lord. Most of those truths that I cling to so firmly, most of them pale in comparison to the bigness and to the glory of Jesus. It makes me calm. Yeah, it makes me calm because even if I can't convince you that I'm right and you're wrong, then it'll be okay. It's going to be okay. Or even if you can't convince me that you're right and I'm wrong, it's going to be okay. It's okay. It's okay. If my side loses, it's okay. Even at 6 o'clock today, it's going to be okay. Even if they take my life from me, this is where our strength, even if they take my life from me, going to be okay so what can they do to me if even my life can be taken from me and it's going to be okay and the last thing that i see here from this doctrine of christ's pre-existence is that a pre-existent christ makes me saved this is the most important reason why it matters. The other reasons were important, but this is the most important reason why it matters that Jesus really is preexistent to everything and everyone else. Jesus being from everlasting is what makes verse 51 true. Listen again. In verse 51, he said, I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The Pharisees are incensed at this, responding, well, who do you think you are? But listen to me. Because Jesus was and is God, and only because Jesus was and is God, his death was enough to pay for all your sin. I'll say that one more time. Because Jesus was and is God, and only because Jesus was and is God, his death was enough to pay for all your sin. Martin Luther teaches us, he says this, For if the person who offered himself as a sacrifice for us were not God, it would not help or avail anything, even if he were born of the Virgin Mary and suffered a thousand deaths. Blaise mentioned this again, too, at his exam yesterday. He said, you know, God's forgiveness of us, his salvation of us, has to have two components. One, he forgives us and wipes away our sins. But then we're only what, Blaze? But then we're only a blank slate. Blank slate ain't worth heaven. Blank slate, just a blank slate. He has to also give us the righteousness of Christ. Not only does he wipe away and forgive our sins, but he gives us the royal title and the inheritance of his son, Christ. Luther says... If he were not God, it wouldn't avail us anything, even if he were born of the Virgin Mary and suffered a thousand deaths. But the fact, Luther continues, but the fact that the seed of Abraham who gave himself for us is also true God 
secures blessing and victory for all sinners. And now you go from reading this text to looking in the mirror, and Jesus asks you, who do you say that I am? If Jesus is just a man like these Pharisees, he's either mentally unstable to think that he's God, or he's, an e he's the biggest egomaniac that ever lived. Certainly nobody we should celebrate or emulate if he's just a man. Moreover, if Jesus is just a man, you are still in your sins. Because let's say, let's pretend that one human being could maybe possibly die to pay for the sins of me. Let's just pretend for a moment that that's possible. That's good for me, but that ain't going to do you any good. He can't die to pay the debt of all men and women. But if Jesus is who he said he was, you must come to him. You must fall before him and repent of your sins and say, I want to belong to you, Lord. You accept his free gift of forgiveness and of eternal life. You, you don't be like the Pharisees who hardened their hearts. They couldn't understand. They couldn't accept. No, you give Jesus, you give him again your failings. Maybe again even this morning. You look at our notes page again for today, and what do you see? You see, because Jesus is who he said he is, what do you find? Now, I've given him my failure. I've asked him to forgive me. I've asked him to be my Lord and my God. I want to live for you. I want to belong to you, Lord Jesus. I can't believe you want to be with me forever, but it's amazing that it's true. Let's go. Let's go. And then what do you find? You look at that notes page today, and you see you have the ability. You're going to be a little bit less. You're going to be a little bit more humble because you didn't save yourself. You couldn't have saved yourself. You didn't deserve it. He just loves you that much. You're going to be a little more patient because you're going to see how patient he was waiting for you. You're going to be a little more calm because God's got this. And he's seen a lot more craziness than is going on in our, in our world today. And you're going to be so grateful because you're going to have security. You're going to know that because Jesus is God, his sacrifice was enough to win me. And because he sacrificed his life, he's not going to, because he's God, he's not going to give his life to win me just to lose me. That doesn't make any kind of sense at all. So now, I know I'm his. Isn't that pretty cool? Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this uh, opportunity we have to know you and to know that we know you, to know that we belong to you. I pray that everybody in the sound of my voice today knows that they belong to you. And if they don't, I pray that they would reach out to you even now in their hearts and say, Lord, yes, I want the gift of forgiveness. I want to be yours, and I want you to be my God. Let's begin this new adventure that Blaze talked about with the kids. Let's, let's start a new adventure book together, Lord. You and me, a book that's going to go into eternity. We pray in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen.